Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by Molly Williams. Hello, Molly. Hello, Sarah. Nice to see you. Good to see you too. You look lovely in that summery dress that you made, that you sewed. Yes, I made this one a while ago. Clever woman. Yeah. Clever woman. Have you been doing a lot of sewing during these times? Not as much as you might think. Uh, I just finished, well, I did a bunch of masks, which were boring as heck. And I just finished uh, a little dress that didn't turn out quite the way I wanted. Oh, and then I finished a flannel dress because I started it in the winter and I just finally finished it. So I'll wear it next year. That one worked out pretty well. So the next thing I'm going to tackle is shorts. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, Cause I, I haven't done, I've done like pajama pants, but I haven't done any kind of fitted pants. So you need to figure out how to copy those mod cloth shorts that we both own. Oh, I love those. I love those shorts. And I keep going on mod cloth and being like, please have other ones of them. And no. Well, the pattern I've got is similar to those. It's a high-waisted pattern and the material I got has a fair amount of stretch. Oh, like those ones and we I, got. And I think that's the key to the mod cloth. Most certainly it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if they turn out well, you might have to make a, a duplicate pair. <laughs> we'll see. One thing at a time. <laughs> so, well, uh, one thing that's keeping you from sewing is you're following the um, hill hikes in your hill walks in your book, in, your, in that Portland hill walks book. Yeah, we did a hill walk. So yeah. there's a, a local author who does these walks around Portland. She's done stair walks, hill walks. Oh. She might have another one. Um, and she gives you a lot of the history of the area. So we did one in southwest Portland and Goose Hollow. That was fun. It was very fun. Yeah, and it was uh, so like us that it was raining in the totally Portland way of raining, that it was the, the number of raindrops that were falling were probably about a quarter of where the, what they fall in other places. So it was technically a continuous rain, but they were very um, scattered. Uh, neither one of us had a rain jacket. Neither one of us had a raincoat. Uh, we both were wearing hats, uh, uh, portable porches. I had my, the Missoula hat on. But yeah, I mean, I was wearing a hoodie that, you know, with not the hood up and you're wearing a... I had a wool jacket thing with a hood. Yeah. yeah. But I had a, and we saw lots of people out walking too. Yeah. Also, nobody with a raincoat or, right. umbrella. or umbrella. Yeah, we don't even mention umbrellas. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was very entertaining. But boy, I gotta say, I was my like I I felt it afterwards. I mean, we were out there for a while, like two hours. Oh yeah, we, yeah. we went up and down quite a bit. Uh huh. Yeah, and all those stairs in the book would be like this hundred and fifty six step stairway, and then as you're going up, it's like this has got to be more than hundred and fifty six. <laughs> and then it was an old book, so we couldn't continue on some of the streets that we were right. They built. <laughs> think around and find where we're supposed to go. We did a good job navigating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks. Because well, it was a part of town that we don't know very well. No. Yeah. And then we, I mean, Portland is very insular. And so that, you know, as I kept saying, wow, Molly, it's all still here. Like this for our town still exists. And there are these big, beautiful houses. I'm like, there's a reason we don't know anybody over here, Sarah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then you were like, we got to invite these people to our book room so we yeah. start going to their house. I yes. Know, genius, yes, I know. That was a, that my other uh, scheme was always that my kids would need to make friends with the family that lived in certain houses. Uh-huh. And they never did. No, and, and you and I, we didn't get out of our own socioeconomic group. We both could have done better, right? right. <laughs> Here we are. I know, I'd be like, oh, Phoebe, you need to make friends with the people in that enormous house that I want to see the inside of. And it's like, nope, here's my friend in her modest little yeah. house. It's like, okay, really nice family, but like not having house envy over here. <laughs> So, oh my goodness, yes, yes. So, well, your middle daughter, um, uh, an accident befell her. Yeah, Lucy fell off her skateboard and broke her arm. So it's been mm. kind of quite a week. Mm. Uh, been, yeah. Ugh. So she's 21 and she's in Bellingham, Washington. And then she had to navigate the Kaiser phone tree to figure out where to get care. And, you know... Bless her soul. You know, <laughs> she's 21, but she still wants her mom to do it. And, you know, I, for a second I tried and I just can't. You're right. Because I don't know her health record number. I don't know, you know, what's available to her, what she can get to, what I put. So she right. had to deal with it. She did do it. Uh, I think a lot of moms of older kids probably know what I mean. It's like this, uh, they're almost grown up, but, uh-huh. you know, they got to make those last few, few leaps. But anyway, she'll be fine. Yeah. She's got the splint on. 
Yeah, and tell people is she, I mean she's not like a professional skateboarder like she and her friend just well, kind of maybe she is <laughs> no, the yeah. next Tony Hawk. <laughs> no, I don't know what happened. She just slipped out from under. She was just going going straight. Uh-huh. But, the, but the other little interesting story about Lucy right now is that she's got a, a new gentleman friend mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, the dating in the time of COVID. Yeah, where they, they it can't, sounds like a song or yeah. something. So they they can't touch you know they've been on a bike ride with a horse burger arm and a picnic and chatting i mean she'll love that i'm talking about this but i think it's just really it's interesting it's so chase you know yes hearkening back exactly right exactly really how, how that develops versus other relationships you know right it's almost like they need a chaperone or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, um, I hope she gets that cast on and, and, and that the uh, situation all works itself out. Yeah, sure will. So, um, well, um, today we are going to be talking about periods. Yes, from the very name of our business, Another Mother Runner, um, you can pretty much assume that a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are in our community have or have had periods. Um, so if there's any doubt about that, when I put up a call for questions on our Facebook page, the post got 146 comments. Um, we culled some of them, and Molly, you are the queen of TMI, so that's why you are the co-host of this. You and I will get candid answers to the questions from Dr. Jennifer Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Hollowell, a full-time OBGYN in Western Massachusetts. Dr. Hallowell, otherwise known as Jen, because she's been to one of our retreats, um, so I can call her that. Uh, she'll be joining us after this quick break. Stay with us. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Hallowell, a full-time OBGYN in Western Massachusetts. As she wrote in an email, Dr. Hallowell, otherwise known as Jen, treats women, quote, nipples to knees ages 17 to 87 or so. She wrote me uh, that uh, in that email, she said, there's nothing too TMI for me. I'm like, oh, she's our gal. Uh, And then I got to meet her at our Cape Cod retreat last October, where she celebrated her 50th birthday with us. Um, Jen is a longtime, quote unquote, member of the AMR community. She's also a mom of two daughters. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you, Jen. Um, How old are your daughters? My oldest is 14, and she'll be entering freshman year in high school in the fall. And my younger daughter is 12 and is going right. into seventh grade. Yeah. Very good. So you're going to have a couple more menstruating girls there, huh? Oh, we do. We're there. Yes. Ah. Yeah. And we, ha- we have a boy dog, and he seems to love the fact that we have three menstruating women in the family. Oh, gosh. Uh, the uh, Augie wanting to eat the tampons. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I I pulled a stuck pad off the roof of his mouth the other day. Yeah, we raised a guide dog puppies, and uh, one of them got into the girls' trash can, and I was like, I knew there were tampons in there, and then there weren't tampons in there, and so, so I'm a veterinarian, so I'm like gosh darn it you're gonna throw up so i took him outside and i made him throw up and he ate like 12 used tampons <laughs> i remember you telling me that <laughs> so i got garbage cans with lids for all all the girls but oh I, my girls are disgusting they are absolutely disgusting like i'd go in their bathroom they have like a bloody tampon on the counter they just like <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Okay, we're we're just going right there. We just ex- yeah. we are in a, no, a Porsche. We just went from zero to sixty. So so now my girls are listening to this, and they're all going, "It wasn't me! It wasn't me!" <laughs> well, my girls have given me permission to talk about their periods, and we haven't gotten to that phase yet, but. Our issue is with this pandemic, we've had some toilet paper shortages, so we've had to switch to using our dog's poop bags for disposal oh. instead of toilet paper in the trash can. And he's also figured out how to step on the lid of the lidded oh, trash can to no. get them. <laughs> he's a smart puppy. So people ask me, like, why do dogs eat, you know, yeah, poop, yes, Molly. You know, Yeah, it, because they're disgusting. That's why they do it. <laughs> Well, I assume they're kind of, fra- all that stuff's fragrant. Yeah, it is fragrant. We just took a hike with our dog and somebody uh, defecated near the trailhead and he went right over there. And- oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, so we've now lost, there's maybe like okay. two or three people who are still listening to this podcast, but, but okay, we'll just keep going, assuming that people are still listening. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So tell us about your running background, Jen. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. I um, 
you know, I think when I listen to your podcast, there's two groups of women. I fall solidly in the second group. I didn't start running until after my younger daughter was born. And I was taking a, like a group fitness class and just do a little circuit training. She says, oh, go pop on the treadmill for a few minutes at a pace that you could keep for five minutes. And I, I had no idea. And I was mortified that I had no idea what pace I could run. Obviously, when I hit it, it was far too much. And I was often just huffing and puffing. But, you know, slowly started to get into the Couch to 5K program, did a 5K in December. We have a local big 10K here in Western Massachusetts for St. Patty's Day. And then um, my husband and I were on a rare date. I think it was a date night. and saw a big sign for Mother's Day half. And uh, it was this another mother runner program that was doing... 13 point fun program. Oh my goodness. Yes. And yeah. So that was my inaugural uh, training plan with you guys. And I have my t-shirt and I love it. And so I did that first. I think that was, I was trying to remember 2013 and I did maybe a half. I did that one and I went out to Big Sur and did a half marathon, which was great. And did another one up here the following year. So I sort of became serial half marathon runner. And then uh-huh. kind of bridged over to trail running for a while. And then I got lazy. And then we mm-hmm. got a dog. Um, and uh, <clears throat> on my 49th birthday, you guys had your um, Cape Cod retreat. And mm-hmm. it was that horrible nor'easter. And yes. then you announced that you were doing another one. And I looked at the calendar and it was on my birthday. And I was like, oh, my word, family, <laughs> I'm going to go way out of my comfort zone. And I'm going to enter my 50th decade uh, you know, guns a blazing. I'm going for a half marathon. And because I was doing that, I had to do the one previous to that back in Mother's Day again. So this past year, I've done a couple and uh-huh. yeah, just loving it, but hoping to get out on the trails with my pup and, and do some, some more running with him. And we'll see where things go with races and whatnot after this. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. So as I mentioned in the intro, we took questions on Facebook and I tried to group them into categories, kind of loose categories, but I got to say, we got to lead with a laugh or I should say more laughs since we've already had some. Um, so in regards to periods, Portia wrote, can we cancel our subscription? I mean, I'm done. I have had my kids. I want to be done. And um, that totally made me laugh as I was reading through the questions. Um, and then Dale summed it up as a question. What is the best way to eliminate periods if we are 100% certain we don't want more children? Yeah, so these are great questions, you know, especially as runners thinking about having periods and how much either the crampiness or the PMS or the heavy flow can really get in the way of either training or race day. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, And I guess I should, you know, start by just giving my disclaimer that I'm not anybody's doctor on here, that I'm not giving any particular specific advice, but we're just kind of talking mm-hmm. in general terms. And mm-hmm. if we sort of, you know, talk about some things, yeah, yeah, you really got to see your regular OBGYN to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and I hope that as we're talking through this, it's kind of gives some more education and can empower everybody to get out there and, and kind of advocate for themselves to, mm-hmm. you know, not just be like blown off because you're a runner, like who cares how heavy your periods are. Um, right, right, good. And we should make some assumptions. People aren't pregnant and having abnormal bleeding and thinking it's their period and that they're not having bleeding in the postmenopause, which would definitely require, uh, you know, an evaluation in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're also going to talk like normal stuff and kind of give ranges of what's normal. There's mm-hmm. another component that's medically interesting. And then there's things that we're talking about that are going to like optimize performance, which aren't necessarily data-driven in the medical literature. So that's, okay. uh, that's a whole nother topic. So yeah. if we're talking about regular periods, <clears throat> we want to talk about the cycle being generally between 24 and 35 days, not lasting more than eight days, women not typically getting up very often to change their protection in the middle of the night. Um, <clears throat> so, and that's a healthy thing to have ovulation, create a period a couple of weeks later, have a flow, body starts ovulation again and the cycle repeats itself. And I think what, um, you know, your first questioner is talking about, she's not really talking about shutting down everything and becoming postmenopausal because as we mm-hmm. have all talked about sometimes, that's not so fun either. We have increased mm-hmm. risk for stroke and heart disease, cholesterol, et cetera. So she's probably talking about just getting rid of the actual bleeding that happens every month. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, so that varies about how to go about doing that. And it depends on how far you want to go to actually never see a speck of blood versus mm-hmm. having a predictable light flow or an unpredictable episodes of spotting. Mm-hmm. 
so we kind of approach things in a different way depending on what any particular person's tolerance is for all of those things. And many women will come in and, you know, they just want to get back to feeling normal. They don't want to bleed through their clothes. They don't want to bleed in a race. They don't want, you know, as uh, I forget her name, but she birthed the tampon in the porta potty. You know, you oh, want to yeah. be, Bethany, kind of, yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the most the famous other... moments from the podcast ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can help you. <laughs> So there's, you know, there's some things that can reduce the flow that are not hormone based. And those are things like using Advil or Aleve in the days prior to and during the initial part of a flow to help reduce it. We always think of um, things like Aleve or Motrin as being fever reducers or pain relievers, but they can actually be menstrual flow relievers for some people. And some women can, I know, right? You can get, and they don't put that on the packaging. Right. Uh, They'd sell a but, lot more maybe if they did. <laughs> <laughs> but for healthy women who can tolerate taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory without the side effects like GI side effects and such, um, you can start a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory a couple of days before your expected period and take it for three or four days. And you may have a significant reduction in your flow. So that can be really useful. There's also another product um, that uh, the brand name is called Listita. Um, and it's being used in the hospital to help with hemorrhage, but it's also being used in outpatient setting to help with like a particular cycle to not have as heavy of a flow. So those are kind of like helping in the moment. But then we want to broaden that and look at things that are more um, long term. And that's stuff like taking over your hormonal milieu with something like a birth control pill or NuvaRing, which is a similar way to get the similar hormones of birth control pills into your body, but using it as a vaginal ring. Uh Um, There's a patch. And these will give you either a period every few months, or you can use them continuously to stop periods. Uh And then there's stronger stuff like Depo-Provera injection, um, or transitioning to a different class of medicines, the progestin IUD, which can really lighten flow for some women. Um, and some people are candidates for using uh, other products um, like oral progestins. So it really depends on the individual woman about how badly she wants to get to no bleeding versus mm-hmm. kind of a controlled bleed or unpredictable spotting. Mm-hmm. And then we haven't even touched on the fact of surgery. So there's endometrial ablations. And then for some women, hysterectomy is the right um, choice. <clears throat> so there's a lot going into things. And it's You know, you want to be thinking, uh, are you done having babies? Are you not done having babies? Um, Uh Are you, you know, are you perimenopausal? Are you a smoker? Do you have health Uh issues? So Uh lots to to unpack there. But there are many, many choices available. Yeah, yeah. Is there any physiologic reason, though, that we need to get a period? Because I know girls these days just take their pills all the time or, you know, my girls have birth control or they don't get periods. Right. So... If you said, you know, I'm going to move to the mountains of Maine, I don't want to ever see a physician again, that gal, I hope, would be cycling regularly because that's a sign that hormonally things are going well. If you're taking over and using hormonal contraception, whether an IUD or the ring or patch or pill, then you're adding um, hormonal control and you can reduce your flow or eliminate it because there's really nothing there that builds up. So the lining becomes very thin and there's just not a lot of tissue to come out. And that's fine. Um, so it depends on the scenario. You're, if you're somebody without hormonal control, you're not having periods, then I worry about you. But from a health perspective, you know, I think there's lots of benefits to reducing or eliminating periods with progesterone. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Jen, you're um, 50, I'm 53. So, you know, when we were girls, everybody got their period, right? Right, and right. Now, you know, my girls are, are young adults now. I, for a while, I was the only one menstruating in the house, <laughs> you know, because they were all on things that were eliminating their flow. And now, you know, I have crossed the finish line of period, so <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. But uh, it's, it's different. It is different. And it's, it, there is, there's a lot of studies. There's nothing that's really pointing that it's, that it's unhealthy. Um, I think some cultures feel strongly that they need to flow every month. They have a sense that there's you know, toxins or, or things building up in them. And if they don't see it come out every month, then that's a problem. But um, really when we're adding the hormones of contraception or some of these other modalities, we're just making that lining so thin that it's just not there. And that's fine. 
the, the problem is the gal who's not menstruating regularly, but not taking hormones. And she may have a hormonal shift where she's producing a lot of menstrual tissue, but it's not coming out. And that gal mm -hmm. needs evaluation. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so you, you brought up the thing about the heavy flow, and this kind of goes into the next question about um, various options. But um, uh, one thing I thought was interesting, uh, I started using a Diva Cup as, you know, before I stopped my period. So I didn't use it for too long, for a few years before I stopped. And up until that point, I could never measure the flow. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And like people would say, you know, I was always anemic. Like, do you have a heavy flow? Well, compared to what? You know, right? Because we're not sitting in the tent, like, look, oh, wow, that's a lot under you today, right? And, and I'm so, like, I, I'm so conscious about, like, using up every bit of that pad or tampon or whatever, like, you know what I mean? So when I finally got the fever cup, and, and what do they hold, like, 15 mLs or something like that? Yeah, some of them can be four or five tampons worth of blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. I, was, I was changing it every two hours. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, this is a heavy flow. <laughs> and then like, I had something to actually talk about. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just thought that I think that, that, you know, women shouldn't disregard their period sake. Like, well, maybe it's not that heavy because, again, compared to what? I think you need to, like, really, like, look at the amount because I was really surprised. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's two ways to look at it. One is if you've been told you're anemic um, and, uh, you know, supplementing with some iron, folic acid, either through um, dietary changes or through, you know, um, vitamin supplements. But then the second one is what's it like for you? So sometimes there's huge variations. I've got some patients who, you know, they're like, oh, no, my period's fine. And they're they shouldn't be alive with the the, the low blood count. That they have. And, you know, and then there's other people who are horrified, you know, like when my kids started bleeding, they thought their flow was so heavy. And I'm like, that's like two milliliters of blood on there. I think you're okay. Um, you know, so there is, there's a variation, but, but we do need to pay attention to what people think subjectively and then kind of combine that with what we see with lab values. So if you're feeling like, yeah, you have a heavier flow, Getting a CBC and getting your ferritin levels checked if they haven't been is a reasonable thing just to make sure that you're not deficient in those. And then if you're up at night, you're changing your protection, if you're staining your clothes, you might have a protection issue and we can talk about that. Or you might have a heavy flow and then, you know, need to get some more attention. And then these things change over time too. The perimenopause can be brutal for heavy bleeding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. Yeah. 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 So Katie's question then leads right into this. Um, she said, I've had issues with tampons falling out while running and pads getting bunched up. I can't imagine running with a pad. Can oh, you? yeah, I know, right? Oh, oh. Goodness gracious. I'd love some advice on different brands and options. And if you could talk about the menstrual cups, period underwear, and discs. Never heard about discs. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be very uh, transparent. I had to look up discs as well. I've, I've not <laughs> met anybody who's using them, but they're, they're on the market. Yeah, there were a lot of comments about them on the Facebook page. People, you know, mentioning brands and them saying, "Oh, I, it didn't hold enough." And then they were like, "Oh, you need to try so and so because it holds up to so and so." And I'm like, "Well, this is a whole education for me because I had never heard of any of it." Yeah, I, I, um, you know, when we talked about doing this podcast, I thought, "Well, oh, I'll just check with all of my patients and really be very specific about asking them regarding brands so that I could do a little market research." And then with the pandemic, all my annual uh, exams got canceled by the, the governor. I'm like, ah, oh, lost yeah, my right. research ability. <laughs> yeah. So now you got now you're staring down a bunch of pregnant women. It's like, oh uh, yeah, I can't ask you about uh, what you do during your period. <laughs> so I, I did crowdsource, and uh, I think one of the best places to go to get information from this is the ultra running page. Um, oh. And so figuring out what ultra runners do. Uh, they're yeah. huge fans of um, some of these uh, products. And I was amazed when I started looking online, you know, there's 20 different companies and there's all wow. shapes and sizes. And basically what they're all meant to do is to collect blood. Um, and some of them are reusable. Some of them are disposable. Um, mm -hmm. Disposable might be more expensive or not as great for the environment, but good if you're camping or if you're doing, you know, like a Ragnar or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other cups you, you keep and you clean, and the recommendation generally is to have a couple of them once you figure out what you like um, mm. so that you can clean it properly in between. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's period underwear as well. And I think the most popular brand is called Think, T-I, yeah. no, T-H-I-N-X. And, um, mm-hmm. and then I think there's probably quite a few on Amazon. <laughs> and reading the yeah. reviews on Amazon will give you lots of good information there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, the basic gist with them, my understanding is you got to test drive them. You got to give um, a little bit of a learning curve. This is not one of those things you want to start fresh on race, race day. You know, nothing new on race day. <laughs> right. um, so, <laughs> don't be flipping around with your disc on the in the porta potty because um, <laughs> if it falls in just walk away from it <laughs> walk away don't explain <laughs> um, yeah. so, you know people typically say they need a few cycles to get comfortable with it and that there's quite a learning curve in the beginning but I think many many women are quite happy with them once they've gotten a mm-hmm. few months and figured out the right size and shape so you know that can be a nice um option for folks and then sometimes combining that with the period underwear just to catch any you know little leaks um is uh you know a nice option for protecting yourself um we don't have a lot of scientific data on the safety of them they seem to be good but they're such a small portion of the um you know menstrual sanitary supplies that um Mm -hmm. it's kind of the wild west Hmm. Um, I love the Diva Cup when I was using it. I just found it easy and couldn't even feel it. I could mm-hmm. run in it. I, oh, great. yeah. The, the women on the Facebook page who used it were like, make sure you get her to talk about cups because they changed my life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Don't carry around tampons. Carry around one little thing that uh-huh. you can change, you uh-huh. know. Uh-huh. I mean, you got to get all up in there, but... <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to be a little bit comfortable with yeah. placing it. Sort of like a tampon that you don't have an applicator, like the old B brand um, yeah. of tampons that and that doesn't have the applicator. There is a website called Put a Cup in It. Um, oh my gosh. Yep. Wow. Put a cup in it dot com and they go through all the different things. They you take a little survey, figure out what you'd like. Um oh. so you know, that's a, a little tidbit of info to um Try it out, you know, expect to spend a little money in the beginning to figure out which one works the best. And I also saw another tidbit that especially as you're getting used to it, to change it while you're in the shower. Um, oh, yeah. So just pop in the shower a couple times a day, change it every 12 hours and it's cleaner. That's genius because my fear when I debated using them was like, well, what if it like springs out of my hand and I'm in like a women's restroom? It's going to look like a crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of crime scenes, uh, I was just wondering, do you know anybody that free bleeds? And do you know anything about that? Oh gosh, you're going there, Malls. Yeah, I I think that might be a West Coast thing. I don't think we free bleed in Massachusetts. Portlander. uh... Well, but like, I think some people just don't wear anything and then what do they do they just bleed down their leg well i think some people on race day do that occasionally like if you were if you're wearing like a pair of black yeah Yeah, you wear a pair of black capris or something yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know anything about free bleeding and do you know anything about like the red tent did they really do that did they go sit on the straw (laughs) on those bricks i love that book but yeah that right right that gets into lots of cultural education and uh-huh. yes. it's, yeah. Yeah, a different mm-hmm. podcast Ooh, that is different. Now you're gonna go on and like google <laughs> red tent podcast oh yeah. my gosh oh my gosh we got to keep right. molly on track we got to keep her on track um okay so we're moving on to questions that deal with health issues um that's kind of the loose category for this this one's from amy and she says I am a woman in her mid forties going to be 45 at the end of June and my menstrual cycle, hormonal cycle complete messes, completely messes with my sleep, my energy, my weight, pretty much everything. No amount of exercise alleviates my discomfort and I would love some ideas of things to do. Yeah. So this so many women can struggle with this. Um, and you know, I think first we want to define what we're talking about. So is the few days before your period the only time that you're having these symptoms or is this kind of through the month but you're calling it PMS? So having a calendar and really tracking your symptoms and seeing if things get better once your flow starts. Um, Mm. That's super important. And then, um, you know, what else is going on? There are lots of stressors in the um, household or in your family, parental stress, kids stress. Do we have a baseline depression? And how old are you? If you're in your 40s, you're going to be coming into this perimenopausal transition, which sort of on top of PMS is kind of a double whammy. So um, lots, again, lots of things to look at. I do 
you know, we can talk about medications and, you know, prescriptions, things that somebody would come to see me to get help with. But, you know, if you're sitting at home thinking, well, this sounds like me, keep a calendar, see how mm -hmm. you feel during the time that you're bleeding. This is the beginning mm -hmm. of your next flow. You should feel pretty good. And mm. if things are really awful, if you're really, um, you know, severely depressed, can't get out of bed, no joy, um, that's something entirely different. That's more into the realm of PMDD and definitely time to be talking with your physician and mm -hmm. perhaps working in conjunction with a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're just like, yeah, this might be being, I really am on edge that week or so before my period. Um, lifestyle things can matter and that has to do with like, how are you sleeping? Um, do you have your phone in your bed? Are you really hot? Is your partner snoring? You have kids or dogs, things that are really disrupting your sleep in general. And what's the temperature of your room? Because when sleep mm -hmm. is impacted, everything seems worse. And so those sort of normal hormonal fluctuations, like we feel like the wheels come off when we really aren't sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's an important part to, to look at. And then obviously, what's your diet like? What's your alcohol intake like? And how hard are you exercising? If those things seem to be dialed in pretty well, but you're like, yeah, I still feel pretty crummy in that week before my period, one of the first things that we think about is, are you a candidate for and are you interested in quieting down that time between ovulation and your period? So we would use like a birth control pill, the NuvaRing, which again is similar to the pill or um, the birth control patch to just kind of shut the factory down, keep everything steady and consistent through the whole month so you don't have this cycling of these big hormone shifts in the second half of your cycle. If you can't take them or you don't want to, then trying something like an antidepressant in the beginning is useful. And for some women, they can just take it for seven to 14 days during that PMS time. And other people need to take it on a daily basis. And both of those can be helpful. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, great. So this question is from Molly. Is ablation an effective treatment for extended periods? Mine hasn't been shorter than 10 days since my first child was born 16 years ago. And if effective, what is recovery like, especially as it pertains to running? Yeah, so um, she's had a long time for a long period. That was know, the first yeah. thing that I, I was like, this yeah. girl should be seeing her physician because that's kind of a long time to be bleeding for that long. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's important to define what an ablation is. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's a surgical procedure, although sometimes we can do it in office, although many times it's done in the operating room. It's a minimally invasive procedure. Um, we're not using any scalpels, there's no stitches. So we're accessing the cavity of the uterus by going through the vagina, dilating the cervix, and then entering that cavity. And in varying ways, through the heat or um, hot water, to destroy that menstrual lining so that it doesn't build up each month. So you'll still have your hormones and you'll still cycle. You just mm -hmm. won't flow as heavily. Mm -hmm. When I see patients when we're talking about ablation, there's, you know, certain people aren't a candidate for it. These are gals that are having irregular periods. They're um, maybe having abnormal tissue uh, in their menstrual lining. So we have to be talking about somebody who's getting regular periods. They're coming on a predictable time they're just heavier than she'd like. And she's had an evaluation with ultrasound to make sure that everything looks healthy and endometrial biopsy to make sure that the tissue is good. So there's certain people who are better candidates than others. Um, and then we also talk about what the expectation is. I, I think it's very strong to say endometrial ablation would eliminate your flow. But if you're looking to just get back to feeling normal, it can be a really useful um, procedure. And it also depends on how old you are. Um, you know, I think of um, <laughs> weed kill in my yard uh, when the, you know, everything's growing at this time of year. And you put weed killer down and it's like, oh, great, there's no weeds. Then a few weeks later, things start to come back again. And that can happen after ablation. So you can start to rebuild your menstrual lining and think, dang it, like, why did I go through this? I'm bleeding uh -huh. again. So if you're 48 or 49, Ablation might work, but if you're 35 or 38, you've got many years to go before you're going to be done with periods. And yeah. for some of those gals, it's going to be hard to evaluate abnormal bleeding in the future after they've had ablation. So there's, there's definitely some obstacles to overcome. 
But if you end up having it done and you and your doctor decide that it works really well, the complications are minimal, recoveries a few days, you're going to be crampy, you're going to have kind of a yucky discharge. Um, and some of that is, depends on the type of ablation that's done. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a decent number of people end up not getting the relief that they're looking for and they end up with hysterectomy. Oh, hmm, hmm. Could you get pregnant after an ablation? Mm -hmm. You should be done having kids before you make that decision. So mm -hmm. um, good birth control on board, so either like vasectomy or tubal ligation um, ahead of time. It's not something you want to have a pregnancy after. We just don't have a lot of data on how a little embryo would do well, you know, in that mm -hmm. environment with that very scarred um, lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kaylin asked a question kind of um, on a different end than a lot of the questions. Um, she wants to know about running and cortisol. How does it affect her cycle as she's starting thinking about conceiving her next baby? She says uh, that she needed fertility treatments the first time and was hoping to um, go natural this time. She had unexplained infertility. So basically I was hoping that Jen, you could address kind of how recreational running, which is what most of us do, can or cannot affect fertility in our cycle. Yeah, so a lot to unpack here too. And in, in, in the questioner in particular, you know, once you've already had some issues with um, infertility, it, you know, there's certainly a chance that that would be an issue again. Um, so, you know, that notwithstanding, just in general, it depends on um, a lot of things. It depends on what your baseline weight or your BMI is. So women who are quite thin um, to start with, um, who are doing a lot of vigorous or intense exercise, they may have some impact on their fertility. Um, and if you're going to pin me down and say, like, how much are you talking about? It's really hard to say. There was one study I saw that suggested four hours or more of strenuous exercise a week could have some impacts for some women. The reality is that most women would benefit from more exercise. You know, we do better. Um, in terms of hormonal management and periods and uh, weight management if we're exercising than if we're not. But I think that there's definitely a component of gals who, who might overdo it. Um, and then we get into that really that different group of folks who are really overdoing it. Um, they're very lean, they're having very low intake of either carbohydrates or fats and really restricting um, some of the macronutrients in their diet and it's mm -hmm. just not matching what their energy output is. And those are the gals that we would think of as, um, you know, there's a few different terms, but losing your period because, um, because you're, you're getting yeah, too thin or, or just not matching your energy output in your um, caloric intake. So you're having a good well-balanced diet, not running for more than four hours um, a week, really hard. And then making mm -hmm. sure that you're cycling your, your, your training so that you're taking some breaks and, and backing off to kind of let everything um, you know, settle in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Follow-up question to that. So if you're a woman who's not getting a period because you have an IUD or you're on birth control pills all the time, how can some of them tell if maybe they're too thin and they would be amenorrheic because, you know, body fats, if they're not getting a period? Yeah, it's, that's a hard, um, hard thing to tell while you're under the effects of the particular um, hormones, especially the ones that contain estrogen, because those are going to change the lab values. So you're not going to get information about whether you um, have what you call hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is just that mismatch of energy in versus energy out and creating lack of periods. Um, same goes for when you're in the perimenopause. If we're having women who are struggling with changes in the perimenopause and they end up um, choosing to use something like the estrogen-containing pill or the patch or the ring, um, I can't tell when they're going to menopause. Like, well, when do I stop? Like, I don't know. Let's um, try it out when you're 50 or 51, reevaluate around that time, depending on each person's you know, age and, and desires. So, um, so, so using estrogen changes all of those hormones. So it's hard to um, to get lab values or to predict. We have to really stop and then see how things are. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's jump into the perimenopause slash menopause question. Um, uh, it definitely needed to be its own category. I'm thinking it could be its own, <laughs> its own podcast episode as a follow up to this one. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, um, so we'll ease into it by Nadia asked, um, PMS, why is it harder with age? Yeah, it is harder with age, isn't it? <laughs> a, yeah, I like to think of the 40s as like the reverse of the teenage years. And who wants to go back to their periods in the teen years? Like, it's kind of miserable. Sometimes you get acne, you get unpredictable periods, you're sitting next to a boy wearing white pants. It's, <laughs> and the PMS, and, and at the same time, again, we have all these lifestyle things that are often really impacting us. Um, and, and looking in the mirror and seeing wrinkles and chin hair and, you know, the wheels can come off sometimes. So there's, there's a lot that can go on. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, um, yes. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to fix my eyebrows anymore, but where'd all the chin hair come from? <laughs> I don't like this. Um, That's, that is one boon to wearing masks. You know, yeah, people, right. people can't see it. <laughs> no lipstick, no judging of the chin hairs. <laughs> and I might have food in my teeth and nobody cares. Right, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, so it's definitely, it's a, the whole 40s are a time of transition. And I'll have patients ask me, you know, how do I know if I'm in the perimenopause? And I oh, look at your birth date. If you're in the 40s, especially, you know, a couple of years past your 40th birthday, there's very likely um, going to, you know, you're going to start to feel some changes sometimes. And for most women, it's temporary. You might have a hiccup um, in terms of, you know, really bad PMS one month or another month you might have a heavier flow than you'd like, or another month you might have a lot of acne, but not typically persisting and really bad each month um, until you get into the late 40s. And the reasons for all of these are the changes that come as we age with our ovarian hormones and things start to they start to decline and it's just part of the process of the ovaries quieting down. We start to lose our fertility. We start to lose some of our progesterone and our cycles start to come closer. Um, mm -hmm. So you're having heavier periods, perhaps they're coming more frequently. So more days of the month, you're having a flow. Um, and then on top of that, you get all those sort of emotional changes that can precede the, the period um, and sleep disturbances and um, hot flashes. Yep excuse me, at work or at night, um, mm -hmm. joint pain increases. Um, so there's lots of things that can happen. So we kind of like to go back and say, you know, if you can see that there are certain times that um, PMS bothers you more, what can you do during that time to take care of yourself? Can you get a massage during that time? Can you ask for a little bit of a timeout, do some meditation or use the Calm app or Headspace? Um, mm -hmm. Are you hitting the alcohol more? Um, because that's really going to make an impact on how you feel. How are you doing with simple sugars and are you overdoing that? And do you have a history of depression and it's starting to rear its head again because of all these other things? So if all of that is kind of dialed in and you're like, yeah, I'm still struggling with this and especially with things like hot flashes, night sweats, um, then it's time to consider um, adding some estrogen back because we know that that's a big part of what's starting to change as we get closer to the end. And so adding that back for women who are a candidate, and that might be through a low-dose birth control pill, or again, we've talked about NuvaRing or the patch, um, or it might be, again, adding that antidepressant to see if that's helpful. And then if your periods are really spacing out, you might want to consider lower doses of estrogen and progesterone through hormone replacement therapy. But it's not generally recommended for everybody anymore, right? Hormone replacement therapy? So that pendulum swung a lot. When I start, I started practice in 2001 and um, by, I don't know, six weeks into practicing, the Women's Health Initiative study came out and that was just a landmark study. It went through all the headlines, all the media, the phones were ringing off the hook and I had just been getting my feet wet in terms of figuring out how to help women manage their menopausal symptoms and and then this new study came out and it was just like everybody stopped immediately and we've had a lot of time since then to digest what that study meant and it really was pointing towards women older than 60 um, who maybe hadn't even been using estrogen as they were transitioning so we have a lot better data and when we're talking about the early 50s and transitioning from that high hormone phase of having your menstrual cycle regularly to the lower phase of menopause, 
doing a transition with some estrogen seems to be very low risk for for average risk women. And again, we're excluding folks who have like, you know, blood clotting tendencies and breast cancer actively and things like that. But um, but for, yeah, for the average healthy runner who's not taking medications, doesn't have a big risk factor for heart disease or blood clotting, using some estrogen, especially in patch form, can be really beneficial to get back to normal sleep, um, and normal functioning during the day. If you have a uterus, you have to combine that estrogen with some form of progesterone. And there are so many recipes for how to do that cocktail of estrogen and progesterone. Um, but it, it, I, I've never had so many grateful women as the women that come in who, you can just look at them, they're beet red, sweating, <laughs> soaking through their clothes. It's the middle of February. And they're just miserable. They haven't slept in a few weeks. And it's like, I can help you. And they come back just so grateful. It's really amazing. Oh, and then right. you want to use it for, you know, perhaps three to five years. There's some people who are really attached to it. And we have to talk about using that for long term. But that short term for healthy women is definitely should be on the table. Mm -hmm. That's great to know. It's good to know there's some relief out there. Mm -hmm. uh, going through menopause in this time of COVID has not been fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much nothing. <laughs> no, Except for hiking and running. <laughs> oh my gosh! And it just—it's really everything has just hit me really hard with this. It just—I do not feel myself. It's been really bad. Anyway, I just had a conversation with my husband last night. I'm like, you got it. I just need more love. I just need more love and attention and affection. And yeah, yeah. Don't we we'll all? I think a lot happens. of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ask, it, it is. It's been. Yeah, we're social creatures. We need to be, we need to be with each other. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then, you know, just all the junk about just feeling, just, this is me personally, feeling, you know, old and used up and, you know, mm -hmm. just not, not the same person I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the aging uh, process, and it, you know, besides the hormones, just the aging exactly. process is like, wow, it's, um, it can kind of rock your boat sometimes. You look, and especially none of us are getting our hair colored. So I'm like, holy cow, look at the gray <laughs> hair coming in. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, women are perceived differently as aging than men are. And mm -hmm, you know, we've got that mm -hmm. double standard. Mm -hmm. Another podcast, right? Yeah. 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 Molly, and I always, well, we, Molly and I always joke that we're invisible. And that uh, yeah. you know, I remember the first time we said it, we were at a, we were in the stands at a high school basketball game. I was like, Molly, Molly, look around. We could rip our shirts off right now and no one would notice because we're invisible. It's totally true. And we, we have run with just our bras we on. Have, and we, like, they just avert their eyes. They're like, okay. <laughs> it is true. It's, this, this is like pretty much the first year we've ever, you know, been like, yeah, it's hot. Let's just run in our bras. Yeah. And it's, it right. doesn't matter. It, well, so, you know, you have to embrace that freedom, right? And you think, oh, this yeah. is the first time I don't really... You know, uh -huh. GAF about what other people think, and I'm gonna go and do what I need to do. So, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> speaking up for yourself is, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's, and they try and teach your teenagers, and they're like, oh my God, a boy might see me if I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, this question comes from Carol. She says, I was never really bothered by my cycle, but now that I'm at an age where I'm getting close to menopause with less regular periods and mood swings to match a teenager's, like what you were saying, Jen, I find the day before and the first day of my period, I feel like a bloated hippo running in quicksand, um, <laughs> which I just love that description. Um, can I do anything to combat this? Yeah, I, I, I was the bloated hippo this morning. It was um, it was a slog. And I thought, oh, but I have to get out there and run. I'm doing the AMR podcast today. So right, right. I must go. You have to earn your stripes today. That's right, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I don't have a lot. Of, this is more into that, like, performance issue versus, like, the medical training. None of this is in our medical journals or in the OBGYN literature. Um but it's, it still ties into the PMS and kind of what's happening right before we get our periods. Hormones tend to be falling drastically either the day before, the day of, right after our, our, we start to see bleeding. And it's, it can be really, you know, a real slog for folks. 
I don't have supplements to recommend though. I don't have, it's not like herbs or supplements are going to make a difference. So as long as it's just a day or two and you just kind of know it, just, you know, kind of go with it and say, okay, this is part of my cycling. Thank God I'm still having periods because I'm not in the menopause and I'm not talking about dry vagina and hot flashes at night. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you can watch things like diet. Are you having extra salt or sugar? Does that make a difference if you're having more meals that are protein-based than veggie-based? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think that side of things makes a difference, but man, we need more research on all of this. Um, yeah. And yeah. It's, I don't think it's going to come from the medical field. It's going to come from, you know, the exercise science and the exercise physiologists and the PhDs out there um, mm. who want to cross over and start studying. I know you've um, talked with other folks on podcasts recently, but, you know, it's it's been a thing for a long time that studying female athletes is so challenging. Oh, my God, we have periods and we cycle, and, <laughs> you know, how to line all that up. And then actually studying those things is it's just yeah. not, yeah, it's not easy for them. Yeah. Maybe those are, maybe those are days to do cross training or do yoga or something like that. If, if she exactly, knows that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, take yeah and, and or something. You can't get a race director to change the date, but you can certainly take a peek and see if you can ballpark when you're going to have your flow. Um, right. And then just chalk it up to a day. You're going to take a lot of pictures and high five people if it's just not your day. <laughs> or that's, you know, now with virtual races, you know, you can just choose your day. So maybe right. there's, a, there's a silver lining to uh, races being canceled. Yeah. And I would, I would pick like just at the end of your period before you get ovulation occurring. So that's the prime time for you to go out. Gotcha. Because gotcha. your estrogen levels are high. Yeah, you know, you're just, you're not in that high progesterone PMS. I mean, so many of the questions that we've talked about today all relate to these days or a week before the period comes and all the symptoms that come. But typically people feel much better during their period and then, you know, in the, in the days before ovulation happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, you don't want to scare that man away. So those are your Lure him back into the house. He seems to be safe now. So this is from Kara. Does running affect menopause, onset, severity, and symptoms? Um, so I don't, again, I don't think there's any specific scientific data out there that looked at runners versus non-runners and when they go through the menopause. That seems to be kind of a predestined time when your ovaries when they're quieting down they're they're going to be done and there's not a lot of different things that we can do to affect when that final menstrual period would come and you know back to definitions perimenopause is up to the years until that final menstrual period and we don't know that it's your final period until 12 months have passed and you haven't had a period if you by the way start bleeding after 12 months of no periods again, time to seek some attention to make sure that everything is okay, because it's not normal to have bleeding after you've stopped. Um, So no, I don't think being a runner changes when you go through menopause. There's probably some genetic component. And when your mom went through it, whether you're a smoker makes um, a difference. Um, And interestingly, does does your BMI change your menopause date at all? Um, I don't think it changes the date, but it can change your experience of the transition. So um, gals that are heavier make some estrogen in their um, fluff. Um, So store hormones. Yeah, yeah. So we store some, um, and it's it's a it's a form of estrogen. So you would think that heavier gals would have less hot flashes, but that's actually not the case. So. So this is where running and lifestyle choices can make a difference because if you're leaner, you're probably going to have an easier time going to, through the transition than if you have, you know, 20 or more pounds to lose. Um, but exercise itself can trigger hot flashes. So there's kind of a conundrum there. So you might find that it's more uncomfortable to exercise if you're really actively in that heavy time of um, hot sweats. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats. Um, but exercise in general, absolutely. Like we want to exercise to reduce all the anxiety and depression that might be coming along with perimenopause. Um, it helps with sleep um, disruption. 
uh, it does all these great things as we enter the menopause. And again, the different topic for a different day, but in the menopause, you're having more issues with bone health and cardiovascular health. And so exercise is uh, you know, super important for all those. So yes, so keep at it, go for it. But I wouldn't say that it's going to change the date of your last period. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say there's, um, you know, I've, I've said briefly that uh, not a lot of data out there on supplements. It's hard um, on the medical field to, to talk about them, that there's not a lot of um, rigorous um, scientific data about safety or about um, how uh, efficacious they are. But I know that a lot of women are interested in trying things that are, quote, natural to help mm -hmm. as they're going through all of this. And it's worth just saying, you know, that there's um, perhaps some helpful um, info that comes from talk therapy, from doing like mindfulness, meditation, mm -hmm. yoga, but less so on the things that we can pick up in the drugstores like black cohosh and the soy products. So, you know, be mm -hmm. cautious in using them. I wouldn't spend a lot of money um, trialing them. I think what a lot of people get benefit from is just the natural fluctuations that come from their symptoms over time, but they attribute it to something that they've been using. So um, oh, gotcha. be cautious yeah. and, 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 you know, use it for a short duration if, if you're going to try something. Um, okay. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm intrigued by one thing you said, um, Jen, you, you said that exercise can trigger um, hot flashes. And so obviously, mm. you know, you get, you get warm, you know, you, you sweat, you get hotter when you exercise, but, but are you saying that it can also though, oh, that's not just sweat, like it, it triggers something? Yeah. It can, you know, have you ever, I don't know, personally, I've had hot flashes as I'm having my cup of coffee in the morning. Um, mm. If it's not a cold brew, if it's a nice hot cup and you think, man, did the temperature just turn up? And, uh -huh. and there's, there's certain triggers that can happen in our day. Um, stress can be another one um, and exercise as well. So you can get sort of that heat on top of the hot and feel like it's, you know, that 90 <laughs> degree, 90% humidity run all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> heat on top of hot. It sounds like you're talking about like a chili dish or something. I know. <laughs> it's like emerald and the pork fried bacon <laughs> stuff, you know, yes, something. You knew exactly what I was talking about. Oh, <laughs> the food network. <laughs> yeah. That's how I learned to cook back in the day. <laughs> that can be your next career. You're like, oh, I have all the lingo down for it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so is there anything that you think we haven't touched on that you kind of want to leave people with? Uh, only that, um, you know, I want women to think of um, speaking up for themselves when they go in and have an interaction as a lot of, you know, this discussion of talk with your doctor, but go in you know, well armed, have a, a notation of what your symptoms are. When do they occur? How much do they bother you? Um, it, sometimes we come in and then make a special appointment if it's something that's really on your mind. Um, in this day and age, we have annual exams and then we have mm -hmm. problem visits. And a lot of um, sort of society and coming to this from a long time ago was your annual exam was your one-stop shop once a year. You go in mm -hmm. and you cover everything. And sometimes it, there's a lot and sometimes we think we've covered everything and I might be kind of wrapping up with my hand on the doorknob and she's like, oh, and then by the way, mm -hmm. and you know, something really big. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, think of the annual exam as a screening visit, as a time to make sure that we're up to date on all our health issues. But mm -hmm. if there's a particular issue, especially these things that we've talked about, that's a great time to schedule a problem visit and then come in mm -hmm. with that information, how long it's been going on and the real specifics of it. And then advocate for yourself to get the kind of evaluation that, um, you know, that we've talked about and, and that with the communication with your doctor to make sure that you're both on the same page. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, good Jen. Advice. Yeah. Good advice. And, um, you, you sold yourself exactly well. You were the ideal person to talk about this. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, ben, I, I, you guys, this has just been a, a, a wonderful experience for me. I've listened to you, you know, since almost the beginning, I think. And here we are chatting. I know. It's yeah. awesome. 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 All right. Well, stay well. And uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up episode on menopause all by itself. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, um, 
that was a lot, a lot of good information. I do think we we perhaps need to do an episode on menopause. Um, we've had requests for it, and I, I uh, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so, all right, well, on to um, a brighter, brighter note. Uh, we introduced Love the Run You're With hats and visors in the Mother Runner store this week. And I got to do a photo shoot for them. And my gosh, they were just so adorable, Molly. They are so cute. There is a running trucker hat, a running hat, um, and then a visor. My gosh, I wish I could wear visors and didn't look like Sideshow Bobbitt because it is just the (laughs) best looking visor ever. Um, And they all work, they're all in the color scheme of our Love the Run You're With series. So um, pink and yellow and orange and with a bunch of navy blue thrown in there. They look really, really awesome. Yes. So those are available at motherrunnerstore.com. And I got to say, I think they're going to go fast. Oh, so great thing to have for the summer. yes, exactly. Exactly. What else are you spending your money on these days? <laughs> Buy a visor. Right. Cheer yourself up. Exactly. Well done. You're, you're an excellent sidekick, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Thank you.